Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. Hello to you all once again on the Sandro Forte podcast. I'm going to break the tradition and say that I'm a little bit worried about going live with today's guests. Uh, and that's largely because I've absolutely no idea which way we're going to go. Uh, and you'll find out why when I introduce him. What I can tell you, though, about today's guest, Simon Hughes, director and head of 360 Trading at IFX, is he's a really good friend, a great chap, as you'll find out, an average golfer, only joking, he's pretty good, uh, and he's someone who's helped a business grow exponentially to the point where it was recently sold for a very substantial sum of money. So lots and lots and lots of stuff to talk about. Simon Hughes with, with some trepidation uh, and, uh, and my tongue firmly in cheek. Welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you, Sandro. I couldn't have uh, put it better myself. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> we, we've been trying to sort this out for ages. Uh, I, I, I like to think I'm pretty busy. You, you are even busier than me, but that's largely because you spend most of your life on the golf course. Um, and there will be lots and lots of golfing uh, quips and jokes and, and analogies, I'm sure. But let's let's start with the serious stuff, Simon, because, you know, we're all said and done. Although we are good friends and we've known each other a long time, you have, after all, helped a business grow from pretty much the ground up and it's become super successful. And then you've done what a lot of business owners aspire to do, which is ultimately sell the business. So you've kind of been on that whole 360 degree journey, I guess. So if you would just start with like your background, who is Simon Hughes? Where did it all start? How did you end up at IFX? And kind of probably where are you going next, I guess? Yeah, sure. So I, I've always kind of deemed myself really as a, a salesman. I, I grew up with um, parents. Dad was a mechanic. Um, Mum worked in sort of care homes. So I didn't come from a substantially wealthy background. Um, I didn't go to private school or grammar school or anything like that. Um, I did do my A-levels, which um, even I'm still surprised about now. Um, but I, I, my first my first kind of job, or I suppose, and what took me into the whole world of sales um, and really kind of plotted my path was um, a, a golf shop um, back over in North Alt um at the time it was called lime trees golf club uh now owned by a family that own the shire golf club in barnet uh i did my work experience there um in year nine sort of in about 14 um and discovered i had a bit of a kind of knack for dealing with people um and selling them stuff that they probably didn't need at the time um <laughs> high expensive golf equipment um after my work experience I was just in the process of qualifying as a football referee, actually. And I, I, I did qualify as a football referee, refereed two football matches um, when I was 14, both under 12s games, got abused by the parents, realised that um, it probably wasn't the, the line of work I'd like to do full time. Um, and thankfully, the golf shop phoned me up a week later and offered me uh, a job at weekends, which for me at 
like I think I was 15 at the time, was was great. Um, being at school still, having a weekend job, earning some decent money, doing some decent hours and working in what I loved, um, playing and still enjoy to this day, which is playing golf. Um, from there, the shop at uh, one point, well, later on in its sort of days, went into liquidation when there was the kind of online boom, uh, golf online boom started to happen. Um, and they just got sort of priced out of market by online golf shops offering um, sort of almost cost price product. Um, so the overheads became too much and eventually the shop went into liquidation and is now an American golf uh, shop. Um, I then went into the world of estate agency. I, I was an estate agent for about two and a half years. Um, in that time, um, not, not over-exaggerating, but it was really a, a buyer's market, so um, so seller's market. So anyone could sell a house back then because every house that went on the market, you had like six or seven buyers for um, offering asking price. So you didn't really need to be a genius to work in the industry then. A little bit tougher now, but um, that that was kind of my, my my journey through estate agency. And it was at that time that I met um, guys, a very good friend of mine, and I still work with to this day called James Walton. James Walton is our head of banking um, at IFX Payments, which is the company that I currently work for and have done since two thousand and twelve. Uh, is it? No, it might even be a bit longer than that, actually. 2008, I joined there. So, yeah. So, yeah, 15 years. Yeah, give or take. If it, yeah, give or take. Um, so, James James was my manager at the estate agency. He he left, um, went to work for IFX um, through, via his best, best power at the time, Nick Williams. Nick Williams was the founder of IFX. And then about a year later, after James had left, um, estate agency was going kind of the wrong way. There weren't a lot of buyers around recession had just kicked in. Um, and I thought to myself, I need to, I think I need to get out of here um, and sort of continue trying to work my way up um, financially um, mainly. And James found out that I was uh, leaving and I was about to go into recruitment at the time. Um, and I'd been through about seven hours worth of interviews with a recruitment company and got offered a job. James still said to me, just come down, have a look, see what we do, because I didn't really know what IFX was, and I know they did something with currency, but wasn't too sure what it was. Um, I went down for a 10-minute interview and actually brought on a client in my interview um, after they told me what they did. Uh, I had a friend who was building property in Dubai at the time, um, and I phoned him up whilst we were there. He said, yeah, he's moving quite a bit of money from uh, UK to UAE and he'd love to save some money um, so yeah I, I brought on a, a client in my interview at IFX um, which kind of really just sort of planted the seed for me that this wasn't actually that difficult um, and by using my network of people I could probably make this quite successful um, so I started out IFX um, as a cold caller um, and I I actually started sourcing my clients originally from the yellow pages. I I would pick a a subject um, or, or sorry an industry, um, have a look through the yellow pages and just spend the day phoning 150, 200 companies, getting told to um, do one, uh, 
in polite terms, uh, probably 149 out of 150 times. But if you, if you do that every day and you get one client a day um, per month, you end up with 20 new clients at the end of the month, which is kind of the, the sort of numbers you want to be doing to make yourself successful. So I, I stuck at that, um, worked my way up through IFX. When I joined there, there was only six of us. Um, we grew the company over over the last few years completely organically we we never borrowed any money we took pay cuts um at stages um over the years especially the owners they didn't plow their money into ferraris and lamborghinis they put the money back into the company to grow the business um we, we never borrowed any money so we were completely uh debt-free um cash rich company um which has its pros and its cons. I mean, with limited cash flow um, and um, no outside investment, obviously growing the company as you want to grow it is not always um, as easy and uh, sort of efficient as as you'd like it to be. Um, so, what happened over the the well, in the last five years, um, we we started working on um, a tech product because our COO at the time, Tom Greenwood, um, who has now set up another successful company in the world of open banking called Vault. Um, he saw the um, sort of industry very much going towards a tech-based industry, um, online platforms, mass payments, um, facilities for uh, companies that need to send lots of payments around the world um, and virtual IBANs, multi-currency IBANs, which mean that um, you give the client their own IBAN number, which is an account number if you're not familiar with IBAN number, and that one account number or IBAN number can accept multiple currencies onto it. So when you're invoicing a client, for example, you can use the same set of bank details for whatever currency you're invoicing them in. Um, which makes things more efficient, less chance of money being sent in the wrong currency to the wrong bank account and getting exchanged into another currency at really bad, poor exchange rates. So that those five years really set the um, kind of tone for where we where IFX is as a company now. We, we're now this kind of buzzword. We're a fintech company now, which means you can wear shorts and trainers to work and t-shirts rather than suits and ties so um so over the last um we launched that platform three years ago um and it's called ibank uh, and the mass pay part of it which is where you can upload multiple currency payments in a csv file is called mpay and that has i mean in the last two years we've grown the company just on that product alone in terms of profit by about 180% um, in two years. Uh, and, and it's how we've managed to get the kind of, got the valuation of the company and sell the company for what we did because the multiples in tech are a lot larger than multiples on a, a regular trading company. The only, the only issue that actually came with um, having a tech we had a lovely balance sheet with all this income coming in like new income from the tech platform but because of banking uh, laws in the uk and capital adequacy laws the more money that clients lodge with you 
the more money you have to have as a company is capital adequacy. So although we had a lovely balance sheet, we we found ourselves thinking, okay, we'd love to do this and we'd love to grow this and add this product. But we were restricted because we couldn't actually spend any of that money because the more clients we bought on, the more money clients were depositing with us. So it was a nice problem to have in a way. But now the takeovers happened, we're we're kind of free of that. And um, we can now push our business on even further with a, a nice sort of backing behind us. Well, that's quite a, quite a CV. And one, uh, there's a couple of uh, elements of the CV, Simon. I, I didn't know. I didn't know you were a football referee. <laughs> uh, if you told me that over a beer, I'd have laughed, I'd have laughed at you. But um, uh, one thing that's come out of what you've just said is uh, verbally abused by parents at the age of 14, uh, verbally abused by people you were cold calling, and verbally abused by your mates on the golf course. Because I think I'm going to take this opportunity... I can't let it. I can't let a podcast with you go by without mentioning this. Uh, is it true to say that a certain video of Simon Hughes on the 17th tee at St Andrews uh, not so long ago went viral? And if so, do you want to just talk us through uh, the verbal abuse that followed from all of us that were stood on the tee, falling about laughing? Yes. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I've st- stood on the 17th tee at St Andrews with yourself, Richard McGill from. Uh, golf travel hub and golf hubber and uh, our good friends tommy the shank engine um <laughs> if you're a golfer you'll know what the term means um so i've tried to absolutely lever one over the corner of the hotel at st andrews which is the, the what they call the tiger line and n- not an excuse but i had a bit of a torn rotator cuff at the time Oh, um, you can't throw that one in there. Yeah, well, no, I'm going to drop it in just for my sake, just for my sake. <laughs> anyway, I've I've hit it so badly and, and sliced it so badly, it's hit the hotel, which was about 150 yards away, um, come rocketing back towards us, and um, I ended up minus 15 yards off the tee. Now, Richard... Uh, from Golf Hubber sent the uh, sent the video to Lads Golf, and uh, I think it's now up to all in all. After it going around doing the rounds, it's been on Golfers Digest, Apple News. It's 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 labelled on um, Google search as the worst ever shot on the seventeenth at St Andrews. I think it's had third circa thirty million views. Uh, worldwide and it still oh, pops up every it, it still does the rounds every year with people sending me this and is this you is this you yeah it no. does I, yeah. I have to say in in three years we've been doing this podcast Simon I don't think there's anybody that's had as many views on uh on social media as you <laughs> uh, but um anyway putting putting uh the, the golf trials and tribulations to one side on a on a guess a serious note because you know um all joking apart there's a lot to be learned from from your experiences and I, I kind of uh, resonates with me, the whole cold calling thing. I'm going to, I'm going to blow a bit of smoke if I may, because uh, normally I would just take this opportunity to rip you for, for 30 minutes, but I am going to say something generous and it might surprise you. Um, and that is that you are an incredibly um, giving person. You talk about sales and I know you, you were smiling when you said, you know, I was selling golf equipment, expensive golf equipment to people who probably didn't need it. And I sold houses and all the rest of it. But I actually, my impression of you is uh, one that never really feels like you sell. Um, what you're very good at doing, if you don't mind me saying, is you're very good at building relationships with people. 
and and the kind of the sale, if that's the right word, follows naturally once you've built that relationship. Is it fair to say that relationships form a very important part of your your growth as a person and the success of the business? Because it strikes me that although I did rather tongue in cheek say you spend a lot of time in the golf course, I'm very glad to hear that now as a fintech company you can sneak into work wearing your golf gear and no one notices. <laughs> um, is it is it fair to say that? great relationships a very important part of what you've achieved yeah i i think nearly all of my success is sort of down to relationships um and and the network you build around yourself and and that network is predominantly built on trust and, and respect from other people um and over the years what i found is that as long as you um do what you say you're going to do and be where you say you're going to be and you don't try and pull the wool over people's eyes and you're transparent with people, then they'll, one, do business with you again. And, and secondly, they'll they'll recommend people to you, which for me is the e- easiest way to get business is via referral. And, and, and you and me both, we're all constantly referring people to each other because we trust that the advice that we give to people uh, um, and the products that we offer to people are going to be good for them or their business um, and not just something that's going to help us as individuals. Um, it, 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 and, that, and that's I think that's the key to it, Sandra. It For me, like I don't want to be having to ever get back on the phone and, and do those cold calls again. Like I, that, that was the hardest part, I'd say, of my kind of career progression was – coming into work every day, knowing that I'm going to have to phone 150, 200 people to get to where I am today. And and doing that for three years um, kind of is, I, I couldn't do it again. I'd, ha- I'd have to go into something. I have to go into a, a different, different role of some description. So building that network around you of trust and not being greedy on your journey. I mean, everyone, in a sales environment, which is which is what I, I am really. I I still I'm a, I'm a salesperson in, in my role day to day. Really, I, I manage my team, but I still have the interaction with my clients. I still bring on my clients. I manage my clients with the help of my very talented and helpful um, PA Emma, um, who really kind of looks after me day to day and makes sure that everything in house is kind of correct and stuff. Books you a um, good tea time, you mean? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With four new clients or three new clients. So yeah, <laughs> that's it. But it, like, if if I if I could if I could go back again, I, I would be I'd be recommending people to to get out there, go to events, go to um, exhibitions, and go and meet people and 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 build that network around you um, because the. Uh, Evidently, trying to do everything over the phone, sat behind your desk, is not is not always possible. But at the same time, you you've always struck me, and what you're saying now is, you were prepared to put in the hard yards. You you had to do what was necessary to get to where you are now. You're now in a fortunate position where you've built that network, you've you've produced the results. So now you have a smarter way of working. But you're not suggesting, I, I think that people coming into business trying to grow something for themselves shouldn't shouldn't be prepared to run through that brick wall because that's exactly what you did. I oh, know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I always say you've got to sort of earn your stripes. 
you, you've got to earn your stripes. You've got to do the the hard graft at the start. Now, there's different ways of of doing that, but my my kind of my what my former COO taught me at the time when I went in there was he would say to me, it was quite simple maths, right? I think it's still a numbers game to this day when you when you start out and and you're cold calling people, right? If you cold call 150 people and you and you and you achieve a one percent strike rate on that 150 people, you're going to be successful. Even if you get one percent and you sign them up as clients, that's that's plenty. That's like one one percent of 150, 1.5 people a day works out at seven and a half clients a week. So seven, 14, 20, 28, 30 clients a month. If you if you said to me, okay, if you make 150 calls a day, you're going to definitely get 30 clients a month out of that. You go, well, I'll, I'll do 150 calls a day. And then by the end of the year, you've got 360 clients. I mean, it, it, I know it's not quite that simple, but it, it, it is really, that is the kind of the, the spectrum. Mm. And for me, what was, what was quite what's quite big for me and, and this is what I tell all my sales guys to do is every day that you um you do your cold calls take the 10 best calls of that day what I call your kind of warm leads send the information out to them send them a brochure send them that and then so then at the end of the week you've got 50 brochures 50 emails out to 50 people the end of the month, you've got 200. Then they're your follow-up leads for next month, okay? The ones you've had a good conversation with. Then if you can, if you only convert 10% of them, you've got 20, 20 accounts a month, which still is plenty of accounts because you're going to get other bits in the way. And, and that's how I built my business. I, I did that. At the end of the day, I'd get to 5 o'clock and I'd do these brochures. I'd put the packs together. I'd send them out, um, and then I'd follow them up a week later um or two a couple of weeks later mm. and, and so the whole cold calling part it still hasn't disappeared when you start off in, a, in an industry these young hungry sort of sales guys they've still got to start somewhere that we and and, and in what we do we, we pay quite high commission rates so we don't spend fortunes on marketing and advertising and unless the commercial deal really makes sense for us. We don't throw money at the wall and hope it sticks. We try and employ the, the best best in class people, people that are hungry and are prepared to put in a graft work. And if they do, they can earn themselves some significant amounts of uh, money um, yeah. and, and enjoy the job as well. Because as, as you know, um, I've kind of built this job into a bit of a social side for me as well so i can enjoy what i do day to day um as well as work and earn, earn a good living mm. i think we need to get you back on the podcast just to talk about work-life balance because of all the people i know uh there is there is a a, a common and standing joke that simon hughes is not in work today he's on the golf course or entertaining clients in a in a box at brentford or oxford united i know you have some corporate connections that you've built as well but I also want to talk a little bit about um your philanthropic work because as I mentioned before you know you're a very generous individual you you do an awful lot for a lot of people don't expect anything in return which is you know commendable and quite unusual in this day and age um but you do a lot of things to raise money for good causes um a rowing challenge golf days as I mentioned before why do that I mean I, I that's not a trick question but you know, why give of yourself 
to others when it would be easy, the easiest thing in the world to just be very single-minded, grow your business, make more money, do all the things you want to do and, and forget about anybody else. Why, what motivates you to do what you do to help others, Simon? Well, I think there's a, there's a couple of things. Obviously, like not everyone has the same opportunities as uh, as people like myself and you do. We don't get to... Uh, we, we, I see myself as quite sort of privileged in a way now to be able to go and do all these things, play nice golf courses, like have a nice house a, a great family lifestyle and 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 there's so many people out there that don't have that and there's so many charities out there that are people are giving their kind of lives to to support these people that need help um they don't they and a lot of them don't actually want help but they need it um so whether it be a homeless charity or a, a charity that supports cancer or um my mum for example worked in care homes my sister worked in it works in care homes too um supporting those types of charities that help help people it it it, it makes me feel better knowing that i'm giving the money to some a, a cause that's going to do some good rather than me going i'll oh, spend it in a in a restaurant or a a night out or whatever, because at the end of the day, like not everyone has the same opportunities in life. I know some people say, oh, well, yeah, you, you create your own luck and you, you create this, but some people literally don't have the opportunity to do or, or get to kind of where, um, where they want to. Um, and, and it's, it's not just in the UK. It's, it's globally. There's so many things that we, we don't probably know how, how hard it is for people and how difficult it is for some people, um, which is why there's some amazing charities. And, and we at IFX, we, we do support charities in terms of um, sort of, we look after their currency requirements to make sure that they get the best exchange rates to um, send as much money as they can over to these hard to get to places where people really need help, i.e. they don't even have water supplies or medical aid or, and stuff like that and in the uk like we always try and make sure that our golf days and um the things we do support charities um that are quite sort of close to us and we've had personal experiences with as well so i um i'm not going to go into detail but you like me um you've had a few setbacks in your life personally professionally how do you deal with those moments where isn't quite as easy and uh, you know and the, and the path isn't quite as straight as it might otherwise be how, how does Simon Hughes deal with those moments where it all seems a little bit tough yeah I, I think I think one of the key things is is your, your support network around you I mean one thing I would say is if if I ever have issues or problems I'll, I'll try and talk to people um, about them because once you once you start talking to people and making sure that you've got some support it, it it does open the door a bit for you and makes you think that okay yeah you can get through this and on the back of that you also try, try not to dwell on what's happened in the past or if something's gone wrong there's no point trying to dwell on it and think to yourself oh and, and just because once that's in your mind it's very difficult to get out you need to work to resolve the the issue whether it be a personal one, whether it be one that's happened at work, whether it be uh, any, anything else, you, you've just got to work towards a kind of 
an end goal to get through that and find a, a, a solution for it. Um, but you just support network. Too many people out there, and we we've done some work with charities around mental health. And I, I was literally with some with a guy called David Knox yesterday who who, who supports people um, in, in the mental sort of health uh, who have mental health issues. Um, my one of my uh, friends, Spencer Hidge, um, he runs a a um, a networking event or a, a conference for um player care in athletes and football clubs called premier sports network and that focuses on mental health um and player care and athlete care because a lot of these sports for example and and we've quite good friends with a lot of the snooker circuit these guys are on their own like for a number of hours number of days same in golf the golfers a lot of them are on their own for days you never know what their experiences are a lot of people look at athletes and look at football players and things like that and think that they have these amazing lives but they don't really know what is really going on underneath the surface mm. so i think supporting these people and making sure that um making sure that uh, the network around them supported is so vital but talking to people is the the, the priority you've got to can't bury your head in the sand so looking forward rather than looking back. So are you trying to convince me that you're still not dwelling on the fact that you lost down the last at Archerfield to us a few years ago? But anyway, we'll move on. Oh, uh, I've, got a I've, got a, I've got a couple of final questions. Um, first of all, how do people find out more about you, Simon, IFX, all the things you're doing, social media? Uh, if people want to connect with you, how do they do it? Um, and they, they, go my, they go on my LinkedIn profile, connect with me through LinkedIn. Um, we, we have a social media company that we work with. We're, we're looking, the last three years for us has been so, I know, fortunately, we, we really kind of, um, we had a successful time over COVID period because where we're offering banking services and payment services to businesses, um, a lot of the major banks weren't provi providing the service that people needed, businesses needed and support that they needed. Um, so the last three years, we've had all this stuff going on and we didn't really have a social media presence at all. We, we actually, you know, we actually found out where we, we, we've been partners of Brentford Football Club. We're a commercial sponsor of Brentford Football Club. We've obviously done very well in the last few years, promoted to the Premier League, retained their promotion, retained their status in the Premier League this season. And what that... <laughs> The, the head of commercial guy called Adam Ward, he um, sent us a message about, about six, seven months ago and said, guys, he said, uh, you know, we've, we've um, tweeted you, um, tweeted IFX payments 128 times in the last two or three seasons, and you've never responded once. And we realised our, our Twitter account hadn't had any um form of updating or anything since 2017 <laughs> so that kind of give it gave us a little kind of nudge to say we really need to get this uh um get this sorted and we, we've now got a company that look after our social media for us our linkedin our twitter um uh called thrive they're called um so they're we're trying to build that with them as we as we sort of go along and uh, actually kind of show some of the good work and support that we do to the world rather than just kind of keep it to the people that know about it. 
That, they they uh, they took over when I was fired as head of social media. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, <it's, laughs> I haven't yeah. got a clue. I haven't yeah. got a clue. Uh, yeah. Final question, Simon, because I know you're a busy man um, and time is against us. Final question, the one we asked all of our guests. Uh, if there was one rule of, of, of all the rules that you might wish to live by, and you've covered many of them today, thank you so much. Uh, what would be the one rule that you'd live by that kind of was more important to you that was more of a focus or should be more of a focus that you can share with everyone else above all others in relation to sort of business like business day-to-day business or just generally uh, well success, I, in, success in life yeah. and business i guess yeah I, I think for my i think for my sort of what i do and what i stand by is whatever you say you're going to do you've got to honor that um whether it be like if just as an example if if I said to you and agreed something with you today and said that I was going to uh, buy something off you, whether it be a watch or buy a currency off you, and then uh, the next day I decided I didn't want it, then that's that's my issue, not yours. I, I'm still going to honour that deal. And um, I, I think once you kind of, once you pull, once you, don't honour what you say you're going to do. That person or that business will remember that. They won't necessarily remember all the deals you've done with them in the past. They'll remember the one time that you haven't done something for them um, or you've ne- you've negated on what you said you were going to do. And you may never do business with that person again, and they're certainly not going to recommend you because they're going to say, oh, well, we tried to do business with this person last time and they, they, they pulled out the last minute. Um, so for me, that is... That is the one rule I stand by. If I say I'm going to do something, uh, I'll I'll do it. I'll honour it. Um, and uh, and I think if you stick if you stick to that, then you're going to build up a very successful network of people that trust you, respect you, um, and and know that you're uh, a good person who who says what you're going to do. Well, that's why you and I get on so well. Two talentless individuals. Who have done yeah. well because we've built a good network and let everyone else do it for us. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> Simon Hughes, thank you for being a wonderful guest. Um, not not quite as painful as I thought it was going to be for either of us, but um, now that we've warmed up, we'll have to get you back and we'll have a have a bit more banter and find out a little bit more about um, uh, the success behind behind the name and everything else that you're doing. But um, thank you. It's been a long time coming, but I'm I'm glad we got there in the end. Really good to have you on the Sandro Forte podcast. Um, Glad to call you a friend, but most of all, wish you every success in everything you're doing uh, now and in the future. Thank you, Sandro. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure and uh, pleasure having all of you join us from all around the world. As always, thank you for your support over the last, well, nearly three years. Remember, every week we've got a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success, like Simon, or overcoming life challenges, like Simon. So please make sure you subscribe. Follow us on Twitter or Facebook. It's at Sandro's Podcast. Don't forget the less in the middle. And let Simon Hughes know exactly what you thought of today's podcast. Hopefully lots of positive comments, please. Or you can email us with a question. It's hello at sandrospodcast.com. And please remember to leave a review on iTunes and connect with me. It's at Sandro Forte on Twitter and the real Sandro Forte on Instagram because somebody wants to pinch my handle. I've never quite tracked that person down. Anyway, to Simon Hughes, to all of you listening. Until this time next week, goodbye for now. <laughs>